Podcasting from Singapore and broadcasting all around the world. You're listening to the Ignite EdTech Podcast with Craig Kemp, created by an educator for educators and streaming to the world. Now, over to your host, Craig Kemp. Hello and welcome to episode 106 of the Ignite EdTech Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Kemp, and I'm honored to have you join us. As most of you know, I continue to work with the incredibly talented Mark Quinn to improve the final audio quality of this podcast. He has his own podcast production studio that provides editing and mastering services to content creators. To connect with Mark, please see the details in the podcast notes below. Last week, I asked you about what you're working on getting better at or improving at the moment. Thanks for sharing. This week, I wanted to ask about your interest and knowledge in coding and computational thinking. I'd love to hear from you. Please share with us via our Ignite EdTech social streams. I look forward to hearing your responses soon. A tool that has positively impacted the authentic and purposeful use of technology into classrooms and meeting rooms that I have worked in is Flip. Flip is a tool you've known for a long time, but now with a new name. The old Flipgrid is now Flip. A new name, a new look, and even a new mascot, Smubble, but they're still the same product you know and love. Flip is the same safe, inclusive, accessible, free app. Flip is a video discussion app free from Microsoft where curious minds connect in safe small groups to share videos, build community, and learn together. Because of Flip's asynchronous nature, it's a great tool for every learning situation, from remote learning to BYOD classrooms to classrooms with fewer devices than students. Flip offers a streamlined, flexible venue for teachers and students to communicate. Students can learn to articulate ideas with well-planned responses and consider alternative viewpoints as they listen to their peers' responses. It's a great way to gather students' responses at their pace without kids feeling on the spot in the classroom. Students can take advantage of the sticky note on the recording screen to type a short outline or key points before they start recording to help them. Pause, trim, and re-record buttons can help students record their best. The customizable built-in rubrics are a great way for teachers to set expectations and provide feedback on student videos. Because of its flexibility, Flip gives students options around how they want to demonstrate learning, which can lead to more effective assessment and student engagement. And all of the accessibility features mean that every student has a voice. If teachers aren't sure where to begin or how to use Flip effectively, there are a ton of ready-made resources in the discovery area. Plus, it can give a window into a student's thinking that an exit ticket or quiz might not. When applied purposefully, Flip is easy to use, extremely useful, and fun. I highly recommend that you take a look at the link in the description below, flip.com. Last week, we talked about personalization. If you're interested in learning more, Go back and listen to last week's episode. This week, I wanted to share some personalization tools to help in your classroom as a follow-up to our conversation on personalized learning last week. Educators know the value of differentiated instruction. However, finding the time to develop tailored instructional experiences based on each child's zone of proximal development is often an insurmountable challenge. This is where personalized learning comes into play. Here are my four favorite personalized learning tools for every teacher. Number one, ClassKick. ClassKick is an iPad app that allows the teacher to see all of the students' screens as they're working on a problem. 
Teachers who are in the classroom can use this data to tailor the help that students need. Teachers who are online can use the data to complete curated learning experiences for the class based on where students are and what trouble they're having. And they can set up individual help sessions with each student. Number two, explain everything. There's a saying that the best way to know if you know something is to explain it to someone else. Explain everything just that and more. It's an excellent tool for creating and designing presentations, forcing students to articulate their understanding, and collaborating with their peers. Number three, Newzella. Students have significant variations in their reading ability. We know that. It's impossible for students to understand the meaning if they're reading at a level outside what they can do by themselves. Newzella affords a personalised reading experience with information from reputable sources, such as the History Channel and The Guardian. Analytics are provided to the teacher based on completion and reading comprehension. Number four, Newton. Newton has been around for a while compared to other personalised learning resources. The company uses learning analytics to track past performance and modify future curricular experiences based on that performance. Newton actually provides the course materials and gives recommendations to both students as what to study and to the teacher as what to help students study. To learn more, connect and follow on your social channels of choice. The links are in the description below, and don't hesitate to reach out with your ideas and thoughts. Every week, I bring you a short interview with some of my edu heroes, an engaging learning experience with someone who makes a difference in education every day, with a particular focus or angle towards educational technology. This week, I had the pleasure of chatting with John Micton. Let's have a listen to the chat. Today, I have the honor of speaking with John Micton, an experienced and influential educator, leader, and podcaster based in Switzerland. John has been a connection of mine for many years, although we've never met face-to-face. John and I connect regularly. John is a man of many talents and is the primary technology for learning coordinator at the International School of Geneva in Switzerland. He also runs the International School's podcast and is a principal training center facilitator and designer for leaders globally. John, it's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Are you ready to talk about education and technology integration? Absolutely, Craig. And it's such a privilege and honor to be on your podcast. I love listening to it. And uh, as a podcaster, it's always good to be able to listen to others. So yeah, and it's funny how we've known each other for such a long time. And and I feel built a really good relationship, but we haven't physically been in the same room. So it says something for a good virtual relationship. Absolutely, John. And I can't wait for the day where we get to meet as well. I'm looking forward to that day. Why don't you start by telling us a little bit about your current role and what inspires you to do what you do? So the role is called the Primary Learning Technology uh, Coordinator. Uh, The International School of Geneva is a large school with 4,000 students and 1,200 faculty over over four campuses. So I'm at a campus called La Chateneuria, which is outside of Geneva, more in a more rural area, about a half hour from downtown Geneva. And I'm attached to the primary school, and I have a space called the Creation Station, which is a maker space. And then I juggle between teaching digital fluency, so digital citizenship, device management, and then also engaging on the PYP units on a variety of different uh, activities centered around problem solving, critical thinking, using the maker space philosophy. So 
I'm new to this role, so kind of making connections with the different teams sitting in team meetings. We've really started uh, doing the digital citizenship because the uh, kids have Chromebooks and iPads. So that's been the focus using the DQ Institute 8 Digital Intelligences. So that's been really a nice way to connect with the kids. A school leader and a deputy principal and IT director for the last 20 years, it's so different, but also refreshing to be back in the classroom. Refreshing is the word that I was thinking as well. It must be so great to be immersed again in that type of environment. And like you said, you've been in education and leadership for a long time now. Tell us a little bit about that background in education. What enticed you to Switzerland and that international educator lifestyle? Tell us a little bit more about that. So actually, I was in the business world. I worked uh, for a newspaper in San Francisco, and I was in Boston and Switzerland involved in TV advertising. And my wife and I uh, were working in Japan, and we did a bike tour of Asia, and we bumped into a, a wonderful educator, Miffy Greer, who was the curriculum director at Singapore American School. And uh, we connected with her, and she kind of told us about this whole international school world that we knew absolutely nothing about. And it really kind of ignited our curiosity. And when we moved back to California after traveling, uh, the state of California was putting in a lot of money to encourage people from the business world to come into education. And I applied to the University of California, Los Angeles, and I applied to primary years, early years. And being a male, that was really something that they were looking for, male profiles to go into more younger year classes. So we did our graduate school there. And one of our professors had been a superintendent at Kobe, the Canadian Academy in Kobe, and kind of reminded us again about this international school world. And we went up to San Francisco and got a job in Tanzania. And that's how we started our career. That's an amazing story, John, and a really cool detail, I guess, around what's possible if you stick your head out and have a look. Um, I think often in education, we get stuck in our little world and our little bubble, our silo, uh, and we don't often look out. I think that goes for everything um, in this international world we live in. Uh, a, a really cool story. You've talked about this international educator piece and those qualities that we should possess when we're looking at those sorts of things. One of the things that I wanted to dive into a little bit deeper was you know, your podcast. You have a podcast as well, uh, International Educator stuff. I'd, I'd love to learn a little bit more about that. Where can people find it uh, and what's it all about? So it's called International Schools Podcast. It's actually a very good friend of mine and uh, Dan Taylor, who runs Apps Events, which is a Google uh, professional provider, and they do a lot of fantastic work around the world uh, supporting schools with Google apps and education. And he'd been doing the podcast and we've been friends for a long time. We actually did the first Google apps events together in Prague in 2010 or nine, long, long time ago. And uh, I've always I supported him and done some work with him. And he said, oh, he'd interviewed me a couple times and he said, oh, why don't you join us? And so I have. It's really conversations. It's, it's uh, I mean, it's basically most of the people that we try to talk to have a story, have done something. We talk a lot about people that are doing big changes either. So I just talked to somebody that was a digital learning coach, and now he started three startups. 
I was talking to uh, a, a leader that was one of the first black female leaders in international schools. But we're looking for stories that are really engaging and interesting that we find interesting. And I think if we're finding it interesting, then the conversation is quite rich. And I think, you know, People love stories. All of us start our lives, hopefully, with parents reading us stories or grandparents. And stories are kind of a way for us to be able to dream and imagine and think beyond the maybe bubble that we live in. And I think that's the goal of the International Schools podcast is just to get interesting people in a room and hear their story and, and you know, provoke them with some questions and some reflection. So that's kind of where we're at with that. And it's an amazing podcast. I love listening to it. Thank the you. links to it are in the podcast notes as well. And we'll make sure we share that out on social. You're also involved, John, in so many other things. One of those things is your role at Learning to Europe and Asia. I'd love for you to tell us a little more about Learning to. Why is this an event that people that are listening here today should be jumping on and attending. Well, Learning2 has a long history. It's really Jeff Utek and Simon and Kim Cofino. There's a whole bunch of educators that were in Asia and the Shanghai area that started it with John Zerfaflu, who's now the director of the American School in Warsaw. And they started that, I think, in, in, in 2010 or maybe before. And then when I moved to Asia, uh, when I moved to Europe from Asia, I attended the first one in Milan, and there I met uh, Stephen Ryak and uh, other people from the group, and I got involved. Learning to basically is a conference by teachers for teachers. One of the things that I really like is that often the keynote speakers, as we call them L2 leaders, are practitioners. They're, we really try to encourage people that aren't in the limelight or not on the circuit or maybe not really well known and give them a voice to really amplify what they're doing in their practice because so often there's absolutely incredible things happening and people are very humble and kind of under the radar. And that learning too is really an opportunity for teachers to amplify what they're doing and engage other teachers to learn from them and also share with them. So the tagline is a conference by teachers for teachers. We, COVID, as for many organizations, kind of took us on a, learn, a bit of a curve. We did do a virtual learning two last year that was really successful, but this year we will be back face-to-face -face and we'll be uh, announcing the new location in Europe and, of course, in Asia Asia has been doing it much longer and has a much bigger audience. I think the culture of learning, too, is far more uh, known. And I think in Europe, we're really starting to get some traction. There are a variety of different other things we do. We do a pub PD, which was also done in Asia, where people get together and there's some provocations on Twitter. And then people get into a bar or a location together and respond back. The learning, too, is really, I think, something that's very grassroots. The philosophy is how can we get teachers to feel empowered to share what they're doing and give them a bit of a spotlight when often that's not something that they look for or that they want to do. But I think it's so important so often that we make sure we're highlighting this amazing practice in all these classrooms around the world that often don't get the credit. Yeah, great call out. Uh, a great event. We'll, again, we'll make sure the links are in the podcast notes for people to follow through and check out too, and we'll share any announcements as they come out. John, let's jump into some quick fire questions. The first thing that comes to your head, and, and maybe a brief why, what is your favorite EdTech book or resource? 
Oh, my favorite book. Oh, that's a great question. So I think the book that really uh, kind of changed my thinking is Disrupting Classroom, which is an older book. Uh, and it really is about how can you bring about disruption and provocations in a way that people don't feel threatened. Piggybacking on that is The Human Side of School Change by Robert Evans, written 1992, but I've used it with my team recently as three years ago. It really is about when you engage with change, you need to know for some people it's a process of grieving. It's not the change that really bothers them, it's that they need change. And I think that's what's really challenging. And uh, I think both books, uh, Disrupting Classroom and The Human Side of School Change, really amplify and really highlight how important it is to be very careful and give that space for people to grieve, give that time for people to kind of digest the disruption. And different people digest it at different times, deliberate differently. And it's really about timing and empathy. And those two books really helped me as I had to engage in a lot of change with, you know, adopting new student information systems, whatever it might be in the context of a role of an IT director. Yeah, fantastic, John. What's your go-to edtech tool that the listeners should be trying? I'm a big fan of Google Calendar. I know it seems really unsexy or anything, but <laughs> Google Calendar is amazing because you can basically communicate everything. You can put links, you can put a video link, you can put attachments, you can put reminders. And I find that, you know, so often people email me and they say, oh, we could meet at these times. And I'm thinking, well, if we did this in Google Calendar and shared our calendars, we wouldn't have that email. We would just do it. And that's something that I find is what can I do to leverage more effective communication, and we're not this back-and-forth email. And so Google Calendar, and if you're in Outlook, it's the same thing. They're really powerful, and you can, you know, add a, a Meet or a Microsoft Teams. You can add an attachment. You can make it a task. You can set yourself reminders. So I just find it a really powerful tool. And sometimes it's those simple tools that you can really leverage much more than you realize. Yeah, it's a great call out, John. I, w I couldn't agree more. I love the idea of that. I use it a lot, even for my own reminders um, and tasks to make sure I stay on track of things as well. So yeah, it's, it's something that I think I do now organically without having to think about it. What's for you, John, one habit or practice that you do every day that helps you enjoy, progress, and succeed in your career? Uh, I have a, a Facebook group, and I like to share at least three or four times a week. So I read Ed Surge, I read Editopia, Wired Magazine. So I have a lot of different places I like to read, and some people I follow on YouTube. Uh, and I just really think it's important to share out to people, not about, it's not about me, but things that I think might be helpful, a point of reference, you know, curate some things, some links and some ideas. So people have something at their fingertips. You know, I just did one about digital literacy and, and, you know, what are some good books or that's something I really enjoy. It's a way also for me to synthesize the resources I'm looking at and kind of put them together in, in, in one idea and then pass that out. You know, I'm a big fan of Adam Grant's book, Give and Take. It's so important to give. And I think, uh, you know, giving is, is a selfless act. It's not always easy because, 
if you expect something in return, then giving becomes really difficult. But it's about just understanding that we need to share. And I think the community that you have with EduSpark and a lot of work that you've been doing and what people do around the world, the sharing and the generosity is just phenomenal. I just feel so privileged how people share and I can piggyback on what they're sharing and likewise. So I want, you know, I think this idea of sharing is so important and giving without expecting anything back are two of the things that I really believe in. And that's kind of how I try to use my week and days is as I learn, I want to make sure everybody else gets to take advantage of the learning that I've done. John, you've shared so many amazing ideas, tools, links, concepts, um, all sorts. And we'll make sure all the links to that are in the notes here as well. What's the best way for listeners to follow and connect with you? Uh, definitely on LinkedIn and Twitter. Uh, that's the best way. And I have a Facebook group, and you're more than welcome to join that. But, uh, yeah, I'm very active professionally. So my Twitter is a professional environment, and so is my LinkedIn uh, I don't do anything on Facebook and uh, Instagram professionally, but definitely LinkedIn and uh, at Jay Micton on Twitter. We'll make sure those links are in there for all of those and your Facebook group as well, John. Thank you so much for taking time out to chat with us today. Always an inspirational conversation with you. Thanks, John. Thank you, Craig. Such a pleasure and a privilege to be on your podcast. Thank you. Next week, join me for episode 107 of the Ignite EdTech podcast, when I'm joined by Michael Kasumovich. If you enjoyed today's episode, please follow us and share the podcast with your PLN and colleagues. Please remember to spend a few minutes to rate this podcast too on your podcast channel of choice so we can reach even more educators and edtech enthusiasts globally. Remember, you have the chance to win as well. Check out the links in the description for more, and I'll see you again next week. If you liked today's episode, please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss another episode. And be in the drawing to win prizes every week. If you know others that would enjoy the show, please hit that share button and brighten their day. Join us again next week for your weekly EdTech hit with at Mr. Kemp NZ. We'll see you again soon.